and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 30. I'm Nick Dixon and I'm joined by free speech extremist Toby Young. Coming up, trans activists attack Kelly J. Keene, another comedian gets cancelled, and the SNP find an even worse leader, plus our top stories of the week, and of course, peak woke. But first, Toby, I thought we'd start with this horrific thing with Kelly J. Keene in New Zealand. She was attacked with soup or tomato juice, depending on which story you look at, by this seemingly intersex person, Eliana Rubashkin, who did a speech saying, I want her to be full of blood, which is pretty gross. And, and Kelly J was sort of crushed by the it was a huge amount of people there. And this was all sort of made possible, in my opinion, by the 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 culture around it created by the, the climate around it created by people like the senator for Tasmania, Nick McKim of the Greens, who called Kelly J and others turds, trans exclusionary right wing drop kicks. And the argument there was that that he'd essentially call it a C word because it's drop, kick and punt and it's rhyming slang. I actually think that's going a bit far because I, I think uh, Australians just seem to use it all the time. You'd watch those old series like maybe Neighbours or Heartbreak High or something. Like, you drop, kick? Like they just used to say it a lot. So I'm not sure it even is that. But it's bad enough to me that he's calling them turds and it's bad enough that he's just creating this horrendous atmosphere and even calling them a drop, kick, even if it's not that, is bad enough. So I thought that was pretty gross. And uh, I've, I've turned into a, a, a radical feminist. I haven't really... Although actually Kelly J doesn't use that word anymore. I've not changed my position, but somehow I'm now just by thinking the same things. I mean, I'm pro-life. I, I care a lot about men's rights and, you know, treatment of young boys and schools and stuff like that. So I'm like, I'm not the most obvious candidate. But I put out this tweet. I said, I was already vocally pro-women's spaces and sports, but I've become a radical feminist after this New Zealand stuff. Not an obvious candidate since I'm pro-life and concerned about how we treat men and boys, but I'm just enraged at how they gave winking consent to attack Kelly J. So... From being a reactionary misogynist, I've become a, a radical feminist without even moving my position because now the position of the sort of mainstream high status elite opinion is that you get to just assault women and, and you just get to smear them as far right and do what you want. And it's just, I'm just so enraged by it. It's just disgusting, isn't it, Toby? It is. It was um, awful to see. Um, uh, and as you say, it's as though the people trying to attack trying to physically assault Kelly J had effectively given themselves permission to attack a woman um, and and they'd been helped by all the people that demonized gender critical feminists as turfs or transphobes bigots now turds essentially they've been um, expelled from that kind of circle of civilization wherein, you are protected. Now they are, according to the radical left, the woke left, fair game. Um, you have permission to go and punch them, even though for the most part they are women and not particularly burly women. Um, it was it was it was just shocking. Um, but if 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 Kelly J's object was not just to um, persuade people um, to take women's sex-based rights more seriously and empower others to stand up against these um, dogmatists. Um, if her purpose was also to show the world the ugly side of the kind of woke trans rights, trans allies, activists, uh, then she succeeded with bells on. I mean, it was as though, you know, the woke present themselves as being um, nice. You know, they are compassionate. They care about excluded people, about historically marginalized groups. Um, 
they're they on the side of the righteous, the right side of history. They are the goodies. Uh, and yet, clearly, they're not. They're not the goodies. Um, when push comes to shove, they're a bunch of thugs. And if her object, in part, was to whip the mask aside, Scooby-Doo style, and reveal the kind of vicious, um, uh, intolerant enforcer of woke orthodoxy, um, she succeeded. And uh, I think it's... It, 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 you know, it, 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 it's not going to help trans rights activists and their allies on the woke left win this particular battle. Um, ordinary people who haven't made up their minds about this issue will witness episodes like that and think, well, I've decided I'm not on the side of the people trying to beat up a woman. I'm on the woman's side. And we saw, you know, a, a, a sort of um, lighter version of this happening at Hyde Park, Hyde Park Corner on Sunday um, with various radical feminists being attacked by trans rights activists and their allies and the police doing very little to protect them. Um, the police did very little to protect Kelly J. Um, she had to rely on her private security uh, to, to, to stop her seemingly, you know, or certainly being violently assaulted, possibly worse. Um, and the, all the police did was drive her to the airport afterwards. Um, and, and to see the authorities, you know, essentially turning a blind eye to the you know assaults by burly men on vulnerable women is 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 really quite shocking and particularly shocking in um london when the met have just been criticized um for you know um not doing enough to protect women and girls uh, it's like they seem to be concerned about not doing enough to protect women and girls unless the women are gender critical feminists in which case we're going to do nothing to protect them it was shocking yeah and i found that part so chilling it's like I'm used to them hating men and white people, especially straight white men, right? And we're all sort of used to that. We don't like it. It's, 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 it's a bit disgusting, but it's kind of like, all right, we can take it. We're used to it. When they do it to women, there's something extra. And we've seen it a little bit with Black Lives Matter. We've seen where, okay, in the, you're allowed to have a riot or you're allowed to break the COVID rules suddenly, even though the rules were stupid, but suddenly it's like a great celebration to go out during COVID and riot about Black Lives Matter and the, the science goes out the window. So we've seen this special treatment before. But this is the most kind of disgusting example because, because it's the authorities, as you say, turning a blind eye, and it's the politicians, mainstream politicians in Australia and New Zealand, giving a green light for this kind of thing. And it just shows you that there's no, no one safe. If they can go after half the population now, which is women, and also anyone who thinks that women are real, there's just something so disgusting about it. If you're a man and you have that normal protective instinct about women, it's just something so chilling about it. You know, they do it to everyone. But this is why I, this is the one... The one sort of caveat is I don't think it's misogyny. A lot of the sort of so-called turfs will say, well, this is classic misogyny. Now, obviously, a man hitting a woman is disgusting and you could say is a misogynist act. But to me, the impetus or the, the motivation is not actually misogyny because it's they start with white men. Men are evil. White people are evil. Boys are evil. The working class are evil, whoever it is. And, that, and they've extended it now to women. But it's part of the same woke ideology but now it's extending. To me, it's it's indicative of the contempt the elites have for the people. And they're almost reveling in how much contempt they can have for the people. It's like, guess what? We're now going to make a thing. I mean, sorry if this sounds Team James, but it's like, we're now going to make it a thing that you can hit women with impunity and see what you're going to do about it. Nothing, because we've got all the power. I see it more in that way than, than misogyny. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, to me, um, it doesn't seem to be motivated, prompted by 
underlying misogyny. I think of it as similar to why it is my wife gets road raged more often than me, even though, you know, our driving styles are very similar. Um, the reason angry men um, sometimes, you know, um, chase my wife, um, get out of their cars, start banging on her window and are kind of puce faced with rage because she's cut them up or because she overtook them or whatever. The reason she gets it and I don't is because she's a woman and therefore they are risking less by attacking her. Um, ditto, I think, like you, um, uh, they're not just attacking GC feminists. Um, they attack anyone who challenges their authority, their political line. Um, uh, but women seem to get it worse than anyone else from the woke enforcers of their dogma uh, because they're just more vulnerable. They're, they're, they're less likely to hit back. If they do hit back, it's not going to hurt as much. Um, so, uh, is that misogyny? I mean, it, 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 there's definitely an element of calculation there. It feels more like cold, kind of self-interested calculation. I can, uh, I, I can get away with trying to physically assault this group of women because they're women and therefore they're less likely to hit back. They're less likely to hurt me as a consequence. I mean, if it was a group of, you know, um, West Indian youths protesting in favour of women's rights, I doubt the trans men would attack them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so in a sense, you can say that is misogynist by its nature. Yeah. But, but yeah, but you could see it sort of straightforward bullying and opportunism, which is kind of what you're saying, I think. And it is similar to the masks, like I kept reading these accounts or these tweets from women saying, uh, again, I got stopped for masks or someone bullied me about not wearing a mask today was I never wore a mask and never got stopped or uh, once about it. And I think, yeah, maybe it's because I look like I might be ready to <laughs> just, like throw down if you I look like I might, you know, just crack and just uh, another incel goes mad. But, um, I do, you know, I, I think it's what you're saying. It's just easier to attack a woman. The only thing is anti-vaxxers, so-called vaccine skeptics and people like that on those marches were pretty br brutally attacked by police and things weren't they so especially in like holland and places like that but even in in the uk so you do see it sometimes but it's certainly particularly disgusting yeah. when it happens to women yeah i, th I think yeah the, the police um will attack um you know groups of men um if they're on the wrong side of the political divide um you know particularly you know if they're if they're, if they're armed and um wearing riot gear um but you don't see you you, you don't see kind of um you know um black block antifa um attacking groups of men as often as you do see them attacking groups of women yeah yeah you're absolutely right and and but kelly j incredibly brave stood up to it and she got this really cool photo that was going around of her sort of holding up a phone with the the soup or juice whatever it is on her face but she just looks really cool I said, the, she does. I said the kind of strong female lead you won't see in a Hollywood movie because, of course, they wouldn't promote this kind of thing. And that's got 1,600 likes. I've seen this, Jordan Peterson shared it. Very cool image. And she is just cool. I mean, it's one reason she's done so well. Jordan Peterson shared it. Does that mean he's not listening to the podcast? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, you were, uh, sorry, I just thought you were, you were going to be interrupted there. Was that someone, uh, you're right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I thought someone was a, just, I thought it was a, a trans someone right trying activist. trying to kick me out of the room. Stepping yeah. in to, to beat you up and prove you wrong. Um, the thing is about Kelly J, she's just so cool. She's she's like, um, I've met her very briefly. She just has a sort of natural charisma. This is why, obviously, she's been the person to do this. And it's just she just speaks very simply to people. She makes the case. And I think she's great. But, of course, they've tried to smear her. 
as a as a Nazi. I, I don't know. Do you know her, Toby? Uh, well, I've I've met her once or twice. Um, the Free Speech Union went to bat for her when uh, you won't believe this, Nick, but um, uh, Change dot org, the petition website, took down a petition she started um, uh, on the grounds that it was hate speech. And what her petition said was it urged the Oxford English Dictionary to keep its definition of woman as adult human female. And um, according to change.org, quite a large, you know, seemingly quite mainstream social media platform, um, describing a woman as an adult human female, even though that is how it's appeared in the Oxford English Dictionary for hundreds of years, um, is hate speech now. Amazing. Um, So we, 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 we tried to get that petition reinstated and it ended up we ended up in a kind of jurisdictional maze which made it impossible to try and hold change.org to account um but yeah so i have had some dealings with her she's very impressive very brave yeah all right well well done kelly j let's let's move on to another trans story this is the world athletics trans band so world athletics band transgender people from competing in the female category at international events the uh the president of that body Lord Sebastian Coe, of course, said no transgender athlete who had gone through male puberty would be permitted to compete in female world ranking competitions from 31st of March. Although he did say a strange thing. He said, we're not saying no forever. And it's like, well, why not? Now, this was a victory. Though in a way, it was just going back to normal. You think it was a great victory. But in a way, it was like finding your keys or something. You're relieved. Then you realize you haven't actually really achieved anything. You've just wasted half an hour. So I sort of see this as a victory. Then I go... Is it really a victory in it that, that, that men can't ruin women's sports? It is, but it's so absurd that we had to fight for this. Or not we, but people like uh, Sharon Davis, Martina Navratilova, probably you as well. I mean, lots of people have done a lot for this. All I've done is one great tweet. Stonewall said, we stand with trans people who now have the door closed on their chance to compete in athletic sports at an international level. I replied, you can stand with them all you want, but it will no longer be on a podium next to someone they just cheated. Sorry, it will no longer be on a podium next to some women they just cheated out of victory. I ruined my own brilliant tweet there. This was so good. Even Josh Howie liked this one. Over 2,162 <laughs> one. likes. And people <laughs> pointing out, you're not stopping women doing anything at all. You're just stopping, you're not stopping, sorry, trans people. They yeah. can go in as, as, as men. Anyway, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I, I, I was going to make the same point that, um, yeah, they haven't excluded uh, trans women or trans men from competing in international athletics. They've just said, if you want to compete, you have to compete against people who are of the same biological sex as you, because otherwise it ain't fair. Um, not that there's actually, um, you don't actually get many what trans men petitioning international athletics to enable them to compete against biological men. Um, it's, 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 it's always trans women wanting to compete against biological yeah, it's, it's women. It's always the one where they funny. win by miles. <laughs> Fun, funny that, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, do you think maybe, maybe the alternative solution, I wonder if they even considered this, would be to have a kind of third category in, like, in, which, in which trans men and trans women can compete against each other um, in a special kind of trans category. Um, uh, and you know, you, you could like the special Olympics, you know, um, but, but you know, they thought that would be too, too patronizing, too condescending. Well, uh, Martina Navratilova suggested that the thing about, I've heard that a lot. Why do you just have a separate trans category? And it's, it's all right. I used to think that, but I'm sort of thinking, I don't know. I, I well, I think you can have it, but I think what will happen is it'll just be a category that won't really get any funding. Hardly anyone will be in, in, go into it. So it just won't really work anyway. I think you can try it, but no, they don't really want that, do they? There's not, that's the other reason it won't work. They don't want that. They, no. they want to dominate women's sports and make their point. Yeah, yeah no, they, you'd get no... I mean, funnily enough, I mean, 
you get very few contestants, wouldn't you, in the kind of trans international athletics. But that would mean that you or I could just put on a dress and pick up medals. <laughs> oh, so that'll become the new scam is men going into the trans category. Yeah. But would we, and again, but we'd still lose, wouldn't we, against like, wouldn't we, we'd still lose against like the Leah Thomas people. We'd, we wouldn't beat them at swimming, would we? Well, no, but they wouldn't be in that category. Where would they, they be? Because they'd boycott it because oh, yeah, they'd um, it would be so insulting. Oh, I so see. It would just be, it would just be, you know, <laughs> men in dresses um, wanting to do podcasts and YouTube videos about what fun it would be to compete in the International Olympics. Just me, you and Zuby deadlifting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Toby gets third, but he's still in there. Um, <laughs> well, that would be good. All right. Well, yeah. So we haven't got, I mean, anything else you want to add to that, Toby? Or should we move on to our third trans story? Let's move on. I think we've got four in total. This, this is a bumper third, edition. Yeah. We could, no one's going to be in any doubt where we stand at the end of this. So trans <laughs> shooter in Nashville. So not a great week for the old, the old trans movement. So the police have identified this shooter as 28-year-old Aubrey Elizabeth Hale, who I believe is now going by Aiden. And there's been this big ridiculous thing about this because it was like, it was called a woman at first. And then people like New York Times in USA Today kind of had to do sort of semi-apologies for calling this person a woman. Uh, New York Times said there was confusion late on Monday about the gender identity of the assailant in the Nashville shooting. Officials have used she and her to refer to the suspect, who, according to a social media post and a LinkedIn profile, appeared to identify as a man in recent months. So let's get the pronouns correct of this killer. And the trans-resistant network released this absolutely obscene statement where they said... We, want, we point out that today's incident in Nashville is not one tragedy, but two. The first tragedy, this is so disgusting, is the loss of life of three children and adults. Yeah, that's the tragedy. And then it goes on, we extend our sympathies. The second and more complex tragedy is that Aidan or Aubrey Hale, who felt he had no other effective way to be seen than to lash out by taking the life of others and by consequence himself. So they're saying an equivalent tragedy is that this person felt they had to kill a load of people. Can you... Um, believe that and at the end it says we remind the news media to respect the self-identified pronouns of transgender individuals who come across your desk it's like and then it goes on about Aidan Hale self-identified with he him pronouns on forward-facing sites blah 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 it's like what is wrong with you I mean it's the Ricky Gervais joke about her penis whatever again but it's instead of like rape now it's murder it's like you're a mass murderer but let's also think about your side and why you felt you had to do this I mean just deranged where do you even begin with that it is deranged, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I imagine that the, what is it called? The, the trans network? Yeah, the this trans was the trans, uh, trans something network, trans resistance network. Trans resistance network. Imagine if it had been a kind of uh, rednecked white male um, uh, killing um, six trans people, including three trans children. Do you think they would have expressed any sympathy for the shooter. I mean, it's extraordinary the way they try and turn these things around. Um, I mean, the woke left don't hesitate whenever the shooter belongs to, you know, is, is a white male. Um, somehow it's an indictment of the patriarchy, of heteronormativity. Um, it's inevitable that given, given, given the deeply corrupt society we live in, that all men are capable of this appalling mass shooting um but the moment it's um it, it's not someone who falls into one of those convenient categories for political point scoring purposes they extend their sympathy not just to the victims but also to the shooter i mean absolutely extraordinary Sick. it's like it's like it's uh, uh and as you say it just it just seems 
it just seems to be a kind of perfect illustration of the moral bankruptcy of the woke left, that they seem to care, you know, more about misgendering someone than they do about the actual deaths of these innocent people, including children. It's as though that's a greater sin. Yeah, I know. And and even in the BBC article, it says resentment may have been a motive, according to police. It's like, yeah, it was resentment. It was this deranged resentment from this trans person. And it was a Christian school as well. So it's a pure, such a culture war kind of element to it. It was a Christian school. And it's like, oh, you know, this person may have felt the school is like forcing people to be Christian or something or sees them as enemies in the culture war. I don't know on that enough about that yet. Isn't the root um, uh, 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 of this the same as the root of the attack on Kelly J. Kenyon in New Zealand, which is that, you know, if you if you demonize your opponents, if you if you describe them as Nazis and far right and bigot and turfs, if you if you label them in these in in this way, um, you know, you're essentially turning them into fair game for, you know, some of your more extreme activists. And this feels like an example of that. Um, yeah. It was OK because, you know, they're, they're trying to erase trans people and deny their existence. They're part of the genocide, genocidal war on trans people. So really, they're just defending themselves when they assault women like Kelly J. Keene or set out go out and murder Christians. Yeah. And, and there's a tweet here where someone tried to tie it to the Daily Wire. Nashville is home to the Daily Wire hub of anti-trans activity by Matt Walsh. I mean, and Matt Walsh and lists all the other people, Shapiro, Michael Knowles. And, he, and Matt Walsh says, MB, an NBC report here responded to the shooting by trans extremists by pointing out that Daily Wire is also in Nashville. The media was now openly sending violent psychopaths after us. And it's hard to disagree with that. It's a sick new level in the culture world we've seen this week. Kelly J getting attacked, this shooting... It's only going to, the thing is, it's only going to get worse, Toby, because I hate to sound all Team James, but the, the West is kind of collapsing, isn't it? And we'll do one more. Oh, go on. Oh, I was going to say, I, 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 I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, yes, it's, you know, it's depressing um, to see these kinds of episodes. But on the other hand, um, in the broader scheme of things, it's hard to imagine um, either of these episodes helping the cause of trans rights activists or the woke left more generally. I mean, doesn't it just discredit them? Um, and isn't it, isn't it when people witness these sorts of episodes, isn't the tide going to turn? Um, so I'm less pessimistic than you. I think this is this is an, this is this is the kind of the woke left is showing its ugly face to the world. Um, they're now so confident they're overreaching. We saw that happen in Scotland. Ended with the. Um, defenestration of Nicola Sturgeon, even Keir Starmer now is rowing back on the Labour Party's commitment to reform the Gender Recognition Act. It feels like the tide has turned and these sorts of events are just going to accelerate that that reversal. Yeah, although we were going to get on to Humza Yusuf later and he's actually the same. So yeah, the question is, do we have any political recourse? Although yes, in the court of public opinion, all these things will tilt things to, towards sanity, but do we actually have any recourse? Do, do our politicians, are they accountable in any way? What will actually change? Yeah, eventually we've been able to force some changes through like the World Athletics thing. I don't know. It's their very minor victories that have taken an awful lot. But maybe, maybe you're right. I just wonder, politicians seem so unaccountable. Will this do anything? But yeah, let's see. Let's see. Let's do our last one, which is on this topic, which is this 
Zara Jade person. So the BBC put out this tweet, Zara Jade, Halifax woman jailed after stabbing and tying up victim with a picture of blatantly a man who I said looks sort of like they dug up Rick Wakeman, even though he's still alive. And, um, or it looks like some sort of wrestler from the 80s WWF or something. It's this uh, ridiculous picture of an obvious man. And then the BBC changed it, you were pointing out, when you actually went to the headline. They've changed the headline. The tw- tweet is still in place, but they took out the woman aspect. They said Sarah J jailed after stabbing and tying up victim in Halifax. What do you make of this one? Yeah, the the the, the it it was um, typical, uh, absolutely so typical of the BBC to first of all label this bloke a woman. I mean, as you say, he looked like um, yeah a sort of reject from a status quo lookalike band. I mean, um, couldn't have looked more like a bloke with long hair. Um, and for the BBC to, to slap the word woman above his picture, and the story was about, you know, he's a convicted rapist. He was then, he then served time again for a sexual offence. Um, and he ended up um, stabbing his partner in order to steal £300 from her. Um, or him, um, just just incredible. The BBC would first of all, um, you know, respectfully use the correct gender pronoun to describe this psycho, and and then um, and then correct itself because of course the BBC just seems to be addicted to U turning. Um, but just just uh, 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 the and the original tweet got completely ratioed. Um, but it's uh, it, it seemed to me again a kind of. You know, that tweet just seemed to capture the absolute absurdity, the denial of reality involved in calling um, men who supposedly self-identify as women by their preferred pronouns. I mean, it just felt like, you know, the BBC was gaslighting us, was was telling us not to believe what was in front of our eyes, which was a bloke with long hair. Um so yeah, again, I think, but 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 the fact that the BBC did do a vault fast, and the fact that the tweet got so ratioed, and the fact that it just seems so transparently ridiculous, like you know, just the kind of a reducto ad absurdum of kind of woke dogma, uh, it feels again like it's contributing to the turning of the tide, doesn't it? Right, right. Oh, it's a big emperor's new clothes moment, and as you say, ratioed into oblivion. Currently on seven hundred ninety comments to eighty two likes which is a hefty ratio if you understand Twitter. Someone said straight up disinformation from the BBC. Someone says this tweet makes the BBC look more ridiculous than the bloke in the picture. It's a bloke. Someone says journalism has really gone downhill. That's a man. You are absolute clowns. Cancel yourselves. Quite a good one here. Someone's got a gif of a, a, lep- of a cheetah running and it says, do you like my greyhound? <laughs> I mean, so you see where it's going with this. <laughs> I mean, you've missmelled the world, man. The word "man," yeah. I mean, what has happened, BBC? It's just, yeah, it's just a huge week for for insanity. On the, it's like the. Do you think it's the last desperate gasp of the of the radical trans movement? Because it's just, it is falling apart, like you say. I know I sounded pessimistic before. I'm going to be more optimistic. It is falling apart, and this week it shows it just perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it does. It does. It does. It felt. It feels like the tide has turned. The trans rights activists their woke allies are becoming more and more desperate and more and more unreasonable and irrational. And, you know, it won't be long, I think, before 
people using the preferred gender pronouns of trans people become something of a rarity. I mean, it, it was on the cusp of becoming ubiquitous, um, but now it's looking it's looking more and more of a rarity. Yes. I think I think I think there'll come a time when it when it just kind of passes into the kind of dustbin of passing fads. I think it will one day. And actually, I shared a piece on the Daily Skeptic that said the tide has turned in the gender war. And, it, and, and, and I, it was a piece in the Telegraph that I was referring to. Uh, so I do think that. I do think it's very much turned on that issue. My skepticism came from, or my pessimism came from, the idea that the way politicians can just do it anyway and rub it in our faces. That's, I have a total lack of faith that we have any representation in the political system anymore. But that's a separate point. In the culture war, yeah, this is falling apart. Although you're saying pronouns will end. The Daily Mail, allegedly right-wing newspaper, is still using pronouns for Eddie Izzard and referred to her, him as Susie Eddie Izzard. And I was saying, and then as a she throughout the article, and I was saying, well, surely it's then she, him, you have to refer to, because if it's Susie Eddie, it's both, isn't it? So the, they do actually pander to this nonsense. Yeah, and the funny thing about that is that Eddie Izzard said in this interview that's kind of generated a few headlines that even though he preferred to be referred to as um, she, her, he didn't mind if you referred to him as he, him. Um, and even though he prefers to be called Susie, he doesn't mind if you call him Eddie. So why? You know, he's essentially giving you permission to call him by his biological pronouns and, and not enter into this kind of absurd charade. So why still do it? Yeah, and in the same interview, Eddie is at... Um claimed right-wing comedians were sexist and racist. So he threw that in there for some reason. And we were going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that and Alfie Brown. I don't know which you want to do first, but let's move slightly off our trans section. Go on. Yeah, I was just going to weigh in on the um, Eddie Izzard describing right-wing comics as sexist and racist. It was like, uh, you know, um, where's he been for the past 10 years? You know, all the most exciting comedians now are part sexist of the and kind racist. of... And- Oh, well, part of the anti woke coalition. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think they are. I mean, yeah, Ricky Gervais, um, uh, Dave Chappelle, um, Chris Rock. Um, are they sexist and racist? I mean, I don't think so. Um, they may not be woke, but that doesn't make them sexist or racist. It seemed, but it seemed like he was describing, you know, Jim Davidson as though that was the, that he was the only remaining right wing, him and Roy Chubby Brown. He couldn't think of any others. It's like, you know, are you not? Do you not subscribe to Netflix? I mean, you know, where have you been, Eddie? You've been too busy trying to secure a Labour seat that you haven't actually watched TV. You haven't been out to a comedy night uh, for fifteen years. Well, yeah, he's not really in comedy anymore, is he? He's more in in politics. I have to say, um, Leo did do a good tweet about this. He, Leo Curse, our friend, he said, Eddie Izzard says right wing comedians tend to be sexist and racist. He clearly hasn't seen any of my shows, so all I can say is lucky guess, Eddie. <laughs> hard to improve upon that well done leo um trolling away as ever we love leo um so let's move on to another cancel comedian then so alfie brown was cancelled this week you may not know him of course i know him because i was in comedy for 11 years i've had lifts with him to gigs nice guy got on well with him may hate me now i don't know because i'm on the wrong side of things um i did once message him saying he had a good show i'd watched his show at soho theater he didn't reply if he should have been cancelled, Toby, that's what it should have been for, not replying to me, not all this other nonsense. What actually happened was he got in an argument with a Jewish woman on Twitter, I believe, about Jeremy Corbyn. I've not been able to see that, but I've, I think she deleted her Twitter, but I've seen his thread about it. 
the Corbin Easter nutcases didn't like this. And I've written an article about this in the Daily Skeptic if you want to read it and get all the information. But the overview is the Corbin people didn't like it. So they went full offense archaeology. They found a video of him using the N-word in a stand-up routine in 2015, which he pointed out was a while ago and he'd, he'd learned and so on. And they're mocking him that it's quite recent. But actually, it was quite a different time pre-Brexit, pre-Trump. And Louis C.K. did a sort of lauded routine about the N-word where he repeatedly said the word in his 2008 special chewed up. So people have used this word in the past. Even uh, Josh had, maybe I shouldn't out him, but Josh had a <laughs> had, had a routine using it. People sometimes did this in, in sort of transgressive comedy. Now, it's not his best bit ever. It's not something I would have done, but it is transgressive comedy. It is, as Andrew Doyle pointed out, an essentially theatrical medium. Anyway, they dug up that to say this guy is racist. They then dug up a video of him attacking Greta Thunberg in a, in a routine that was hilarious, but they thought it was outrageous. And what they then did, this nutter called Red Collective on, on Twitter, got in touch with Up the Creek, which is a comedy venue, known for its kind of history of alternative comedy. This guy, Malcolm Hardy, used to run it and things and used to go there a lot or whatever. And it was all sort of like outrageous alternative comedy back in the day. And then it's become more woke. It had this agency that has all these woke comedians on, you know, trying to sort of, um, one comedian described it as the Make a Niche Foundation because they were trying to get the new Nish Kumar. So... That's their agency. So they're quite woke. So this guy contacted the venue. They immediately canceled Alfie from the venue, completely capitulating. And it was such textbook cancel culture. There are actually people piling on to Alfie saying things like, bully him more. Another quote was, he needs to get jumped. That was by a person who had Marxist Leninist in their bio. And it was so textbook. Even after his apology, which we know you never do, but we can all be forgiven for human weakness. It's horrible to get attacked like that. And Alfie issued an apology. They, that, all, that was just blood in the water. They attacked him more, got his venue cancelled. And they did all this while saying cancel culture doesn't exist. There were other people saying consequences. Sweet speech has consequences. There was other people saying he'll just get a spot on GB News. And I very much doubt Alfie would want to do GB News, knowing him as I do. And I, Toby, I just thought it was so funny. Once again, people like me are defending him. And there's a Louis C.K. joke because he got cancelled famously. And he said, oh, at least you find out who your real friends are. And he goes, you don't want to find out who your real friends are. It's like, it's never who you want it to be. It's not your cool friends and it's not your fun friends. It's your real friends. And I just think, Alfie probably, I don't know what he thinks about me now because I'm on the wrong side of things for him. You know, I don't. the comedy world hates me and they probably don't like Leo and so on. And where are the people defending him? And Alfie, where are your real friends? But what did you think, Toby? Sorry, I spoke for a long time. What do you think to the cancellation of Alfie Brown? Yeah, no, I thought it was, um, I mean, I felt very sorry for him. Um, and uh, uh, he, he certainly apologising seems to have made things worse for him. Um, and interestingly, um, the 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 fact that I mean, we maintain at the Free Speech Union, you know, that nine times out of ten, um, if an outrage mob targets you, apologising doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. Um, why? Because it's an admission of weakness. The mob sees blood in the water. And they become kind of overwhelmed by a kind of blood crazed frenzy. They want to just destroy you when they when they sense weakness, when they when they realize they've done some damage, they want to finish you off. So it doesn't make them go away. You think it will, but it won't. And and, and often we spend a lot of time persuading people um, yeah, not to publicly apologize um, and that it will only make things worse. Um, but interestingly, there was um, a paper published um by a group of academics um, in October 2019. Um, they did a research study involving, you know, 
thousands of people. Um, and the headline is, Does Apologizing Work? An Empirical Test of the Conventional Wisdom. And um, they concluded that there are reasons to believe that apologizing makes public figures appear weak and risk averse, which may make them less likable and lead members of the public to want to punish them. Um, so uh, scientific proof. Um, it isn't just anecdotal. Apologizing makes things worse. And this was a classic example of that. You mentioned the person who said, um, let's bully him more. When I first saw that tweet, I assumed it was ironic that it was, um, you know, a reference to the fact that people were just being completely over the top in their condemnation, in their um, urge to cancel him. Um, uh, and actually, you know, what he was saying was stop bullying him. But when I looked at the guy's Twitter bio, um, I realized he was a kind of, you know, a Corbynista and was had exactly the same characteristics as all the other people that had really been bullying him. And he meant it. He meant it literally. He meant let's let's bully him more. Um, pretty amazing. Um, and, and didn't 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 Red Collective um, then play the kind of mentally fragile card yeah. after after kind of after trying to destroy, you know, um, poor Alfie Brown's livelihood, uh, seemingly playing an instrumental part in getting his gig cancelled, um, you know, without a thought to the likely impact on Alfie Brown's mental health from being targeted, from being cancelled in this way. And I can tell you from, you know, looking after people, hundreds of people, um, at the Free Speech Union who've gone through a similar experience, that it can play absolute havoc with your mental health. Um, even people who think of themselves as quite psychologically robust find the experience of being cancelled, particularly, you know, to, to take um, uh, the point you just made, um, uh, particularly when some of your friends, you know, don't stand by you, in some cases even turn on you. People find that really psychologically traumatising. So not, seemingly, you know, without irony, then, then said himself that uh, please stop attacking me for cancelling Alfie Brown. I'm finding it really difficult from a mental health point of view. Have a bit of compassion for me, um, a poor, beleaguered, mentally fragile snowflake. You know, where was his compassion for Alfie Brown? That was the one bit I left off. You're absolutely right, Toby. This Red Collective guy said, following a number of threats and defamatory posts about me today, I've been forced to contact police who are en route I will not be targeted simply for standing up against racism and will now take some time out to protect my mental health. I hope you all have a great day. And I said, this guy digs up every controversial video he can find by a comedian he doesn't like, calls a comedy club and successfully gets said comedian's show cancelled. He bullies this person, tries to destroy their livelihood, then complains about his mental health. Unbelievable. And that one's also got 1,800 likes. So it, disgusting. I just thought it was so brazen and disgusting. They don't think about it. You're absolutely right, Toby. Even having been through a mini pile on non-cancellation where I was attacked by the comedy industry ended up in two national newspapers and the Jeremy Vine show but Toby makes sure I call it a mini cancellation because it's not as good as his <laughs> but uh, I was uh, even in that one thing on apologies I certainly didn't apologize I just stayed off for a bit I almost look forward to the next one so I can issue a just, just a scathing non-apology but it's always harder at the time but, and as you say mental health even in my tiny pile on thing when the whole comedy world was attacking me and it got international news yeah, it was very bad on my mental health for like three days. And I spoke to Winston Marshall on my podcast, The Current Thing, the other day. He had to go through this for much longer because he was cancelled on such a large scale. You were cancelled massively, losing five public positions. And as you say, the one bit also I didn't touch on there was all the other comedians piling on 
these people who give snakes a bad name, they all piled into Alfie Brown and saying, oh, I can't believe this old routine. And, oh, look, it turns out he's racist and all this stuff. Yeah, and bizarrely, it's the people who, Alfie's a big lefty. It's the people like me, Leo, and you and whoever. And I make it a point now to defend these people. I did multiple tweets. I wrote an article. I haven't spoken to Alfie for ages. It's not because I personally have any relationship with him. It's just because of the principle. This has been done to me. This can be done to anyone. And like you say, that bully him more is a real mask off moment for the good people. They're not even hiding it anymore. How do they think destroying someone's livelihood, literally calling for bullying, literally calling for violence against him, he should be jumped. They still think they're the good people. They still think they're the goodies. Yeah, you think they maybe they should rewatch that um, Mitchell and Webb sketch um, right. in which the two Nazis turn to each other and say, are we the baddies? Um, hands, are we, are but, we the baddies uh, with hands? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but uh, it, it's the same kind of twisted logic, the same cognitive dissonance that was visible, is visible in attacks by trans rights activists and their allies on people like Kelly J. Keene. It's like, but but in reverse. So they start off by saying, your refusal to use my gender pronouns, your insistence that sex is binary and immutable is a direct attack on me at the very core of my identity. You are erasing my existence. This is a form of genocide against trans people. You are saying that in your eyes, we don't exist. And you have no idea how harmful that is, how psychologically traumatic that is. That's why we have an epidemic of self-harm within our community. That's why we have so many attacks on trans people. They're effectively um, triggered by your dismissal of our identity um, uh, uh, to attack us. You know, a whole array of arguments about just how psychologically fragile, uh, how vulnerable this, this beleaguered, disadvantaged minority is. And then in the next breath, and so, and because of that, I'm now going to beat the crap out of you with my big metal beefy fists, you horrible tough. And it's like, it was the same thing with Red Collective, wasn't it? Except in reverse. Um, but how can they combine these two ideas and hold them at the same time? It's just bizarre. But let me ask you something, Nick, mm -hmm. something that's slightly puzzled me, which is, you know, of course, cancel culture, um, you know, is a phenomenon that isn't confined to any one profession. Um, even in my profession, you know, journalism, um, people get cancelled all the time. But you'd think that comedians would be a little bit more tolerant of people who don't toe the line, who challenge prevailing orthodoxies. Um, you know, uh, aren't they supposed to be averse to punching down? Why are comedians such conformists? Why are they going along with kind of prevailing woke dogma in such a cowardly way? You'd expect them of all people to be a little bit more independent minded, a little bit more free spirited. Aren't the heroes of stand up comedians, people like Bill Hicks and Lenny Bruce and, you know, uh, uh, they're great free thinkers, free spirits, not conformists, people who stand up to the mob uh, and defend, you know, poor, beleaguered, put upon, piled upon people. So how come they've become, you know, how, why are they behaving uh, like this? There's actually a few reasons. I mean, a lot of us wanted it to be like that when we got into comedy. We wanted it to be about being an individual loner, free thinker on the stage. And a lot of those examples you cite are American. So there's partly it's a bit different in America. But because 
the comedians seem to be a rebel, but one thing is, part of it is that the left has just won the culture and, and now dictates for us. So when they were all like anti-Thatcher, they could seem like rebels in the alternative comedy movement. But were they really rebels? Because once they then became the people in power, so to speak, at least in cultural soft power, they all just became authoritarian. So were they actually rebels or were they just in this country, in the alternative comedy movement, were they just anti-Thatcher lefties? That's one question. In a broader sense, yeah, people got into comedy thinking it's about being a free-thinking individual. But then when wokeness took over the industry, it just became about getting work. Very simple calculation of what do I need to do to get work? I mean, one funny example is is Ria Lena, who perfectly nice person when I've met her and I've known her for years. But she wanted to, she was going to come on GB News and she did Comedy Unleashed and things like that. Then she realized she, she got signed with Up the Creek. Incidentally, the agency uh, of the... Uh, club that, that, that Alfie Brown was cancelled from. They have an agency and a club. She suddenly realized she could play the woke card and get on live at the Apollo and all those things. Suddenly she dresses like a pride flag just vomited on her and she cancelled her appearance on, on Andrew Doyle's show and things like this. And she switched over to the other side and realized, oh, that's where the opportunity, as a sort of woman of color, that's where the opportunity was for her. So it comes down to that. There's limited opportunities in the comedy world. And these are just ruthless people who just want to stand on your face to get... It's well acknowledged in comedy that someone will trample on your face to get a slight leg up to get a panel show spot. And so once the industry becomes woke, then then it's just it's purely a calculation about I need to get work. I need to condemn anyone who's not like that. Yeah, I suppose, of course, that's that I'm sure that partly explains it. It's just about people pursuing what's in their career interests and to hell with casualties, you know, like Alfie Brown along the way. But I would have hoped that comedy would have proved a bit more resistant, would have had slightly more antibodies to woke, given that woke is a form of kind of authoritarianism. And I've always thought of comedy as a kind of anti-authoritarian cultural form of cultural expression. Is that just a mistake, do you think? Is it often just used as a way of of enforcing orthodoxy? I think the ideal of comedy is what you're describing. And the great comedians like Richard Pryor might be that, or I always think of Patrice O'Neill, recently, fairly recently deceased, was probably the best comic in America. Chappelle is probably the guy now, but he was totally free and just the most outspoken you could be until he'd offend everyone. And that's really what comedy is. But yes, especially in the UK, it's similar in the US, but it's really pathetic in the UK. It's a small, small world. Everyone knows each other. A lot of mentally ill people, you know, a lot lot of people on the borderline, you know, the people that end up doing comedy. None of us do it because we're sane. Listeners to this podcast will know I'm not, you know, I'm not even sane. I'm more sane than I was, but, you know, these are neurotic people all together it becomes very tribal the me too movement was another example you'd walk into a green room and you'd be insulted just for being a man someone said to me someone said to me are you really saying you've never assaulted a woman i was like yes that that is what i'm saying that is my position i'm the truth because it was all men were evil at that point and they said well what have you ever made someone uncomfortable i was like what does that even mean so you at one point you were just a walking rapist because you were a man and like men were being cancelled all around the comedy world because they'd touched someone's knee in 1984 so there was that and then same thing with wokeness and they, they just round on people it's a small insular world full of neurotic nasty people trying to compete for for very little resources and that's why i quit and I'm one of the best comedians who have ever just walked away from it because most people who walk away from it are just crap. Actually, the crap ones usually carry on doing it. But have you, does, that, does that clear it up for you, Toby? Because if, you, if you're in the industry, you know it completely and you, you just know what it's going to be like. It's just an ultra left-wing, sniping, small, nasty industry. But if you're not in it, you almost can't grasp why it's become like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's because I, I've, I always kind of admired, um, you know, I, I always liked jokes made 
in you know Soviet Russia, um, uh, uh, or, or, or you know in Warsaw Pact countries. It was like the human spirit survives. Uh, people people don't buy into this nonsense. You know, it's like a kind of safety valve, um, uh, and that to me was the sort of essence of comedy. So it is very depressing to see comedians seemingly betray their vocation um, by, in, by by essentially aligning themselves with the kind of Soviet authorities. It's the equivalent of that, isn't it, sort of uh, in Soviet Russia, instead in, in, instead of um, telling jokes that in some way provided the afflicted with some comfort in a totalitarian society, they become the instruments of totalitarian oppression, seemingly without realising that, that there's nothing, you know, um, uh, remotely wrong with that. Well, I suppose they, they persuade themselves, don't they, that um, people like Alfie Brown are, um, are, are, are oppressors who are legitimising racism by using the N-word in a routine 15 years ago, whatever it was he did. Um, uh, and so they still persuade themselves that they're on the side of the underdog. I guess it'll be more difficult for them. When you said that, you know, they can still, pers- by, by kind of enforcing woke gobbledygook now, um, they, they can still present themselves as being anti-Tory. Um, uh, so they can still think of themselves as being on the side of the underdog and against the oppressor and in some way kind of keep faith with their vocation as as comedians. But that'll become harder, won't it, when Keir Starmer's prime minister, you know, when, 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 when you know, everyone in authority, not just the police, not just the courts and tribunal service, not just every university, museum, gallery, arts company, television production company, mainstream newspaper, but the prime minister as well, the government, when they're all woke, it'll be quite difficult then, won't it, for them to pretend that they're kind of standing up for the oppressed by enforcing woke orthodoxy. They'll find a way. One way might be because we're <laughs> still not back in Europe, or it might be that Starmer's a sort of centrist. He's actually right-wing He's not because he's not Corbyn, you know what I mean? They'll find a way of saying that they're still oppressed. Because one thing that's happened is, yeah, Comedians, the other thing that I didn't mention is it just became a career. It became a viable career. So people entered into it who were not funny. They were just careerists. And people also entered into it who were, were activists because, because we have this culture war rather than funny. So that's the thing. So funny people come in. And finally, Toby, I'd just say, if you think it's depressing, try spending 11 years of your life dedicated to it so only to find there's no opportunities left for you and the whole medium has really collapsed. And you can't, especially you can't be a white male comedian, I would argue, and people would hate me for it. But you also... Comedy, comedy industry is just basically pointless and, and dead. So I've had to move into this other world of whatever I'm in now, alternative media. But imagine that. Imagine you've done the Preston Frog and Bucket. Imagine you've taken a night coach back from Leeds Hi-Fi, getting in at 5 a.m. and there's no night tube yet. And you just, that's your, that's your whole, you know, you've done 2,000 gigs around the country in absolute shitholes. And it's all for nothing because you realize there is no future for comedy in this country and you just have to leave it. Imagine that. Well, have you really left comedy though? I mean, aren't you aren't you still in some ways, you know, a comic? You're just now a comic who hosts programs on GB News and does one of Britain's fastest growing podcasts. <laughs> one of, um, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I've taken my comedic skills into other areas, and, I'm, and it's it's comedy commentary crossover. And I try and hit, hit it down the middle, right down the middle, because I'm not pure comedy anymore. But I'm, but I'm also not pure commentary because I don't really know anything. So I, yeah, I try and it's comedic commentary. It's talent stacking. Scott Adams would say. And Scott Adams obviously is my hero who I cite in all things non-controversial <laughs> figure. But yeah, it's what I suppose. I suppose we're, we're, you're almost coming full circle. Uh, this is an opportunity now to plug our live show. So we are actually going ahead now 
we've organised a live uh, recording of the Weekly Skeptic at the Emmanuel Centre on May the 20th. If you go to the Daily Skeptic website, dailyskeptic.org, you can click on the banner at the top of the page, which will take you to the Eventbrite page where you can, well, actually, not yet buy a ticket. Um, You'll be able to buy a VIP ticket, which entitles you to a drink after the gig with me, Nick, and Will Jones. Um, Regular tickets are £25. VIP tickets go on sale on the 1st of April, and um, other tickets go on sale on April the 8th. Um, But it is now happening. Um, We've created the Eventbrite site. We're selling tickets. There's no way we can do a reverse ferret. We did a reverse ferret on our April 1st date because of the train strike. Turns out the train strike's been called off, but we, we didn't know that at the time. We couldn't guarantee that. Anyway, so it's really happening, and you will see... Nick Dixon, former stand-up comic, back on stage, live. Uh, though instead of doing straight comedy, there'll also be some commentary. Um, but yeah, should be good. You might see me just suddenly stand up and take over and start telling dick jokes. Who knows what will happen? But yeah, that is, that, you're right. That is me back on stage, May 20th. I'm looking at it now. I'm clicking get tickets. So I can get VIP. If I scroll down, I see VIP. But can I click on that yet? I'm not sure. You're saying I can already buy VIP. I think you can, I think, no, VIP April on the 1st, 1st of April. Yeah. And, and the rest of it comes on April 8th, I see. April 8th. Okay, so I'm just looking at myself now. So, yeah, all right, brilliant. May 20th, Emmanuel Centre. It's finally happening, guys, and it's going to be off the hook, as we say in the biz. Well, speaking of humorless authoritarians, do you want to say a little bit about Humza Yusuf, Toby? Yeah, Humza Yusuf. I mean, you know... Um, I think, as I said when we discussed Humza last week, I feel slightly conflicted about Humza's victory. Um, on the one hand, it does seem like the worst possible thing that could happen to the SNP and, by extension, the Scottish separatist movement. Um, he clearly um, is a is a downgrade um, from Nicola Sturgeon. Um, he seems like a pretty hopeless politician. Um, he is, um, he's even woker than she is. Um, lots of people have been retweeting his speech in Holyrood in which he talked about how shocking it was, what a grotesque injustice it was that all these people in the Scottish criminal justice system and the Scottish judiciary were white. The advocate general, white, the chief constable of Scotland, White. I think someone actually counted the number of times he said the word white. And it was something like 94. I mean, it was really an extraordinary number. And it's as though he um, is completely oblivious to the fact. I mean, if you look at the census data for Scotland last time a census was done in Scotland, which admittedly was 2018, 96%, I think, of the Scottish population. Maybe, not, maybe it's 94%. No, I think it is 96% of the Scottish population. White. I mean, it's, it's like, it's not that surprising that all these members of um, the judiciary and um, the Scottish police are white, given that white people make up 94% of the population. You know, I mean, and actually, I, I mean, the real the real question is, are fewer than 6% of the occupants of these positions white? And he obviously didn't address that. And it's also just kind of ridiculous uh, for Humza Youssef to kind of keep on plugging away at this kind of old trope that Scotland and the United Kingdom are racist societies. When Scotland, you know, he'll soon be the first minister. He is a Muslim of Pakistani heritage. And his main political opponent, the Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, is a Hindu of Indian heritage. I mean, 
it's quite hard to maintain this this kind of line, isn't it, that Britain is riddled with white supremacy and is a systemically racist society in which black and brown people are second class citizens and have nothing like the same opportunities as white people. It's like, are you just so brilliant? You're just such a genius, Humza, that in spite of all these incredible obstacles that were placed in your path by white supremacists, you still triumph because you're that gifted. I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's just pathetic. You know, change the bloody record, Humza. But yeah, so obviously I'm delighted as a unionist that this complete Muppet has become leader of the SNP and will shortly be Scotland's first minister. But on the other hand, because he's such a hopeless politician, he's bound to do poorly um, or the SNP is bound to do quite badly in the next general election. And that in turn will help Keir Starmer um, uh, win more seats, uh, which makes it more likely he'll be our next prime minister. But, you know, in choosing between the devil and the deep blue sea, um, I think we've probably got the better the, the the better side of that that bargain. I prefer to see. I, I think I I I hate the SNP so much. I prefer to see them lose than to see Labour lose the next election. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you were right. It was ninety six percent according to Google. Anyway, in twenty twenty two, ninety six point zero two percent white in Scotland. So yeah, it's strange to take aim at them. And and you missed out, of course, that our capital city also has a Muslim mayor just to complete the set. So yep. very hard to argue that we're all white supremacists. And um, he also dodged the gay marriage vote, allegedly. He was absent. So he's got this contradiction between being Muslim and being a woke lefty, obviously. It, it, it was worse than that, actually. He initially said that he'd voted for gay marriage um, as part of his kind of general attack on Kate Forbes for saying she hadn't voted for it. And then someone examined his voting record and it turned out he was absent um, for that particular vote in the Scottish Parliament. And then he said, oh, oh, yes, yes, I remember now. I consulted my community and there was divided opinion about it within the community. It's like, yeah, divided opinion. <laughs> How many Muslims in your community? He said, I'm dead. I'm four square behind gay marriage. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't think so, mate. Um, there was one hard of was hearing. It was 99.9% <laughs> opposed to it. So I decided I couldn't risk voting for it. So I just decided to pull a sickie that day. Yeah, there was one yeah. old guy at the back that didn't know what they were talking about. And that was the divided opinion. Everyone else was like, of course, we're anti this. What are you talking about, Humza? Vote no. He's like, oh, I'll just be absent. Yeah, absolutely p- pathetic and yeah. ridiculous. He's, he, he invented that law where they can listen to you in your house. I know that you say it hasn't been invoked yeah. yet because it, the police will just be inundated with what is it I'm, well, it I'm hasn't using been, it, 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 it's okay I'll, I'll give you the technical language so the Scottish hate crime and sorry no the um, uh, hate crime and public order open brackets Scotland close brackets act 2021 received royal assent in 2021 almost two years ago but it still hasn't been commenced and what that means is that um, uh, the no one's been enforcing it. Um, the law hasn't become law yet, even though it's received royal assent. And the reason for that, you know, no one said this is the reason, but pretty obviously the reason for that is that the courts and tribunal service and the police have told the SNP, look, if you're expecting us to enforce this, we just don't have the capacity. You know, We won't have the resources. Um, uh, how are we going to be... As you say, one of the changes in the law is that you can... Not only can he be prosecuted for stirring up hatred against an enormous array now of protected groups, Uh, originally, and this is still the case in England and Wales, you can only be prosecuted for stirring up hatred on religious grounds, racial grounds, or sexual orientation grounds. But they've added, you know, 
loads more protected characteristics in Scotland, whereby you can be prosecuted for stirring up hatred against uh, trans people, for instance. But not only that, they removed the domestic dwelling exemption, whereby you couldn't be prosecuted for stirring up hatred in the privacy of your own home. So now, you know, children, disgruntled teenage daughters will be able to report their gammon dads for saying trans women aren't women at the kitchen table over a bowl of cornflakes. And um, and the police will have to, you know, drag this gammon off to the police station and charge him with a hate crime under this new act. Um, uh, and, you know, children will be summoned to court to testify against their parents as they were, you know, during the Cultural Revolution. I mean, it, ghastly. This is, this is kind of sums up the totalitarian one-party state that is SNP-run Scotland. And he was the architect of that act. And quite amusingly, someone said that under his own act, he could be prosecuted for hate crime, for saying that Isla Bryson um, wasn't a real trans woman. Yeah. Um, anyway, Proper yeah. Soviet stuff. Absolutely gross. And what's shocking is he only beat Kate Forbes by about 2,000 votes. And they could have gone such a different way, like radical Christian yeah. party versus like radical woke party. I'm like, well, how could these be the two candidates? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the idea. That was the icing on the cake. He's limped home over the finish line, you know, only just beating Kate Forbes, who's a member of this kind of obscure Christian cult. Um, and uh, maybe that's putting it too 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 strongly. This this this. Um, uh, minor Christian denomination. Um, anyway, um, uh, yeah, um, and it, you, it's hard to imagine these two um, uh, factions coexisting peacefully, you know, um, for much longer, isn't it? Um, it feels like there'll be a breakaway party. Uh, there's already a breakaway party, there's Alba, but it feels like there's bound to now be another one. Um, and uh, and that in turn will make it more likely that Keir Starmer will be our next Prime Minister. Yeah, and, and they've already lost 40% of their members, and so it'll probably go even quicker after this. They'll probably completely fall apart. But speaking of Alba, Toby, do you want to read an advert by our Alba fan sponsor? <laughs> uh, he is actually a yes, fan indeed. of Alba. He doesn't mind me saying that, apparently. So, Okay. Um, not Abba, Alba. Alba, yeah. Okay. Uh, hey there, fellow sceptic. What I'm going to share with you now is one of many Thor, please keep me anonymous, but LinkedIn messages that I've received since the world went mad in March 2020. And I should have prefaced this by saying this is a personal note from Thor. So when I say I've received, I mean I, Thor, have received. This message is from a director of an energy service business who went on to engage me, me, Thor, that is, in developing his team's strategic presentation capability. Quote, Thor, I've watched and read your posts. I think you're about as spot on for a non-brainwashed dummy as a regular soul can be. We are being hoaxed daily. I cannot often like, comment, because the world has indeed been hoaxed. And I still need to work closely with guys who are absolutely lost. Unquote. If you or your business might benefit from an advisor who's very much not brainwashed, someone who will help you create a positive mental framework and then take useful action, no matter how lost the world may be, let's talk. The first step is to connect with me, Thor, on linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt or via WhatsApp uh, by, by, by connecting with me on WhatsApp. That's me, Thor, on Plus four four seven nine oh six three two one five nine three. Skull. Uh, P.S. Please do connect, even if you don't need my services, because I'd like to stay in touch with you, my fellow skeptic. LinkedIn.com slash in slash Thorholt. 
All right, now let's go over to Will Jones with our top stories of the week. So I'm here with Will Jones, editor of The Daily Skeptic, and we've got some great stories this week. This one you might have heard of, a certain Boris Johnson has been in a kangaroo court, I believe. And uh, you had an interesting take on this one, Will. That's right, Nick. I'm sure all our listeners will be aware of this story. This is the story that Boris Johnson, former Prime Minister, appeared before the Parliamentary Committee uh, this week about Partygate, about the parties that they held in number 10 during during the lockdowns, or were they parties? That's the question. Boris claims that they uh, that they weren't parties. They were just little were necessary for work gatherings. He claims they were in the rules, or he sincerely believed they were in the rules, and um, or he or he claims that he was ignorant of them. So, although he has admitted, in fact, he's admitted straight up that he misled Parliament. He's accepted that. He claims that he did not do so on purpose. That he did not lie. That it was. That he was ignorant or that it was unintentional and he just sincerely believed that they were within the guidance uh the uh here so he, fraser nelson spectator editor made some interesting comments about this uh his trial before the committee uh that uh he that we reported uh, on the website he comments that in his view that lying to parliament even if he did deliberately lie would not even make the top 50 of his lockdown mistakes he quotes uh that, that there were 140,000 kids we learned uh, that on the same day that never properly came back to school, uh, that there were so many other, so many other mis- errors and mistakes and poor policies, uh, and he quotes the woman handcuffed for queuing for a coffee shop, the young woman fined two thousand pounds after visiting a home to support a friend who'd had an abusive relationship, a man fined for having driven too far to go fishing. Parents fined for letting their child have a sleepover with a friend. Pensioners fined for eating a bag of chips in a laundrette. These are the crazy, insane things that happened in 2020 and 2021 uh, because of the rules that Boris made. These these are the things that Boris and those responsible for lockdowns should be investigated over, criticised for, punished for. These are, these, these are the mistakes. But of course, uh, what instead what we get is uh, people... Uh, well, essentially a witch hunt, if you like, for trying to bring down Boris. And you have to suspect that it is not that they're not, they're not really doing this because they that they care about. Well, certainly not doing it because they think that the lockdowns were a, were a, were a mistake, which is what we think. Uh, and you, you also have to think they don't they don't really care about the hypocrisy because you know there's all kinds of hypocrisy goes on in Parliament. But really, they're just doing it, aren't they, to to try to get to get Boris Johnson, Mr. Brexit. And that's what you have to suspect. Yeah, exactly. And. This quote from Fraser Nelson, so next time a prime minister intends to abridge the liberty of millions, they may remember the scenes of the Boris trial and pause. I think, will they or will they just think we've got to cover it up better? I mean, will they really make that link? We better not impose loads of rules because then we'll have to follow them. Maybe, maybe they'll give him a bit of pause to see how he's being treated. I wrote a tweet. I said on the third anniversary of lockdown, what we need is a thorough investigation into how we so easily descended into tyranny. What we have is some fairly self-important people grilling a former former prime minister about rubbish parties. I mean, am I, am I right? Yeah, yeah, you're you're completely right. I think Fraser saying that uh, that they that in the future they'll remember this this trial when they uh, politicians think about locking us down again. I think that's being pretty hopeful, as you say. They'll 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 have the same self-righteous saviour complex of thinking they they're doing what's necessary to save thousands of lives or whatever it is, and they'll just hope that if that they'll just hope they won't get caught if they if they they'll either think they won't do they won't break the rules or 
more likely they'll just hope that they won't get caught when they do. So uh, yeah, I think that's that's a wishful thinking. Yeah, all right. Well, that's Boris. Let's move on to this one. 40% of Brits still wearing masks and taking COVID tests. And I found this one absolutely amazing. And some of the details in here, four in 10 people in the UK are swabbing at least once a month. Who are these people? And then one in 25 tested twice a week. I mean, I'm not sure if I've ever done a... I tell you, I have done a COVID test when my girlfriend made me do them because she was such a hypochondriac. But who are these people that are still swabbing, Will? What's going on? And who are these people still wearing masks? I don't see them on the street. I see one or two nutters. Yeah, sh- shocking story. Yeah, this is a male uh, poll, opinion poll by uh, Redfield and Wilton Strategies. Uh, never heard of them, but I'm sure they're very good. 1,500 people in Britain uh, were asked uh, whether they were maintaining their pandemic era habits. And indeed, as you say, we have uh, having to how many have taken at least one COVID test in the last month? Well, around about 40%. And how many have worn a mask at some time in the last month? Uh, around about 40%, huge proportion. Now, not all of them will have worn it, uh, will be wearing it all the time, of course. Um, in fact, we get a, we get a breakdown uh, that seven, nearly, one in five, seven, nearly one in five people, 17%, said they tested once in the last month. Uh, 10% have tested twice, um, and 8% are testing once a week, with, as you say, one in 25, 4% testing twice a week. Um, and even 2% checking their COVID status um, every day or more. I mean, these tests aren't free anymore. That's that's quite a that's quite a, a COVID test habit they've got going on there. The um, so 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 in, incredible. Still rates rates of testing uh, is as insane now um, as it always as it always was. And and in terms of masks as well, as you say, we don't we don't tend to see many many around. And if we look at the breakdown. We've got uh, only 6% reporting wearing one every day, another 7% saying twice a week, and another 9% uh, once a week. So not everyone doing it all the time, but uh, and it may be that what they're referring to is when they go and visit people maybe, um, or in certain contexts, but certainly uh, we're not seeing them when we walk around, uh, when, I, when I walk around the supermarket, for example, I think. Well, if I see someone in a mask, then these days it, 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 I, I note it, I clock it because I think, wow, you're still in a mask. You always want to go up to them. Don't do this. Uh, we always want to go up to them and say, are you mad? Uh, but uh, so it is. It's a um, it, it's it's rare and rarer. But clearly, uh, if this poll is to be believed, uh, still a lot of people um, are following these uh, these practices still. Now, it's an opinion poll. We know that opinion polls can exaggerate. Uh, people giving what you might call the socially responsible or pro-social uh, answer. Uh, people saying what they think they're supposed to say. Uh, so, so, th- so there is a. So, what you really want is a study um, on looking at what people actually do, not what they say to an opinion poll. But even so, even with that bias that we presume um, is there, these these numbers um, are huge. And with infections. Um, on the rise again, that's that we found from the ONS and uh, the Zoe app as well. We're showing infections on the rise again. We have the inevitable call from uh, Professor Danny Altman of an, an, immunolo- an immunologist at Imperial College London. And no, no, no surprise there, uh, saying that the surge, the new surge, is definitely something to worry about. Uh, that the UK is in a rather serious situation. Honestly, what year is this? Is it is it 2020 again? And says uh, that because of waning vaccine immunity, uh, coupled with new variants, the the magical vaccines clearly not being as magical um, as he hoped, and so he has called for uh, new new mitigations, including a new mask mandate. 
unbelievable. Yeah, shocking. And it, as you said on the site, worth reading in full if you like that kind of thing. Yeah, you can you can read up on the Daily Skeptic, but it will be quite annoying. All right. Well, it wouldn't be the Weekly Skeptic unless we had something about vaccines. So let's do this one. Dozens of families seriously injured by AstraZeneca jab launched legal fight. Will. Yeah, so this is some good news in a way. I mean, not good news for the uh, the injured, but it's um, it's it's progress, if you like. We have scores of families uh, taking legal action now. Look, quite, there's been quite a lot of talk um, over the last couple of years about how the the government has indemnified the vaccine makers against uh, being sued for injuries, um, and that is in a in in a sense true. Um, but the sense that it's true, and it's important to be clear about this. Um, is that the vaccine companies themselves won't be on the hook for the bill. They won't actually have to pay out of their profits uh, or, their, or their own funds, but you can, they can still be sued for injury. They're not protected against being sued. It's just that the government has committed to paying whatever, um, whatever bills, whatever fines or compensation comes out of those actions. And so with that um, in mind, we have... Uh, yes, yeah, scores of injured people. We have 33 of the claimants uh, represented by one particular uh, solicitor, Scott uh, Moncrief and Associates, uh, going to court. And we have we have 54 members of the of a class action group who survived the reaction, um, and they've been diagnosed. This is specifically following AstraZeneca. They've been diagnosed with vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia, uh, or or VITT, or as we might call it blood clots the, from the original clot shot, the, uh, the AstraZeneca COVID uh, vaccine, and they're taking, uh, they're taking action as a class action. And in addition, there are families of those. And so those, those are the, those who survived but have uh, suffered uh, serious injury and disability from, from it. And then there are also um, 19 people who died whose families are taking, uh, taking action as well and this is a class action so this um this should succeed i mean it's completely clear it's been established by uh, medical professionals and coroners that the that the these are people for whom not that they just suspect that the vaccine was involved but that it has been established by a medical uh, pr- practitioner professional that uh, that the vaccine was responsible so this should this should be a clear a clear case, uh, a clear case to win, and it should also be a a wake up call to. Well, we'd like to say to the companies, but of course they're not on the hook for the costs, um, but certainly to governments, and um, that this is a real issue. And this is just for the AstraZeneca va- vaccine. There's nothing yet about Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Mm. All right, thanks. Well, well, that's the the clot shot dealt with. Should we move on to our other big topic of climate change? Because Chris has written a piece that did well on the site. Eminent Oxford scientist says wind power fails on every count. Who knew? Yeah, a powerful intervention here from Emeritus Professor Wade Allison, who is a mathematician and physicist from Oxford University, a researcher at CERN and a fellow of Keeble College. So a pretty significant figure, you know, a, a very clever man, knows his onions. And he says that wind power, he's done a report and uh, for the Global Warming Policy Foundation where he writes, wind power fails on every count. He says that governments are ignoring overwhelming evidence of the inadequacies of wind power and resorting to bluster rather than, rather than reasoned analysis. And he's backed up in this by a nuclear physicist, not Dr. Wallace Mannheimer, 
who said that the infrastructure around wind and solar will not only fail, but, and to quote, will cost trillions, trash large portions of the environment and be entirely unnecessary. And I think we can wholeheartedly agree with that assessment on the weekly sceptic. And he points out that to deliver the same power, this is uh, Dr. Allison, deliver the same power as the Hinkley Point C nuclear power plant, which is 3,200 million watts, it would require five and a half million square metres of turbine swept area. So that is an awful lot of land taken up with wind turbines. And that's just for one power plant. That's not enough to cover the to cover the uh, to cover the whole energy needs of the country, um, electricity needs of the country, I should say, and and what's more, of course, wind power is like solar is not reliable. It's the wind isn't always blowing. We have we can have weeks, weeks where there is very little wind, and in particular that can happen during the winter when there is also very little sun, and these and at those times, and that is also the time when there is also very little warmth and very little heat. And therefore, where we need more energy to heat homes and buildings, and that's when we need it most, and yet that's when it is least, often least available. So intermittent, unreliable, um, inefficient, really not what we want to be relying on for our energy yep. needs. I'm against wind as an energy source, and as an element, totally against it across the board. Um, <laughs> that's my contribution to that. Will just disgusted with my lack of knowledge. Um Shall we end on this? Quite an interesting piece from Noah Carl. Activism at scientific journals breeds distrust among the public. And he's talking about things like the journal Nature having these bizarre woke activist moments in their, in their coverage world. Yep. So this is from Dr. Noah Carl, our colleague at Daily Skeptic, who has looked at the once great scientific journal Nature, uh, which has been giving uh, more and more editorial space over to woke activism. And in particular that it has taken in recent years, the journal has to backing particular political candidates in the US presidential election. And inevitably, it is backing not in equal measure Republicans and Democrats, but the left wing candidate, the Democratic candidate. It uh, endorsed uh, Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012, Hillary Clinton in 2016, and then Joe Biden, inevitably, in 2020. So very activist. What's that's got? What that's got to do with with nature, with science, uh, with scientific research? I'll leave that for you to figure out. But that's what the editors have decided in their wisdom to do. Uh, but interestingly, Nature published a study uh, this month where they looked at whether this has affected this endorsement of Biden has affected ordinary Americans' sense of whether the journal is trustworthy and whether it has whether it is impartial and whether the journal is a beacon of knowledge and the and this study actually found as you would not be surprised to hear nick uh, that in fact it did it did very much affect whether how how confident uh, they would be how the members of the public would be in the editors of nature and they asked, they asked Trump supporters and, and Biden supporters. They made sure they had the equal number. And they found that this backing of political candidates uh, had, a, had a negative impact on Trump supporters' perceptions of the journal, but it had no corresponding positive impact on Biden supporters' perceptions. So in other words, it did nothing to help the journal. It had no benefits, uh, but only harms 
to the overall perception of the of the impartiality and quality of the journal. So, and interestingly, as I say, this was actually published in Nature. So, you know, credit where it's due, publishing criticisms of their own of their own position and their own practice. Uh, but as as Noah says, will it convince? Will this study, which they've published, convince Nature's editors to ditch the activism and just focus on science? Well, we think that's that's pretty unlikely. But it's a step in the right direction, isn't it? Yeah, it's so funny. The good. most objective thing they did was publish that poll themselves. But yeah, it's it's not a surprise that the positive mentions of Biden got them no benefit because the people on that side just think that's normal. It's like in my five-a-side football group or something, people just say extremely left-wing opinions and they just think that's normal. So if they're praising Biden, anyone reading it will just be like, of course they are, yeah. Whereas if they're praising Trump, Trump fans would actually probably appreciate it because that would be quite a strange thing to do. But yeah, that's my take on it. That's it. That you, you you know when you're in a in a persecuted minority, if you like. That's probably a bit of an exaggeration, but it can feel like it sometimes. When when the alternative point of view is just is just stated, just openly and without a thought, and just and not worried about consequences, uh, but where you know that you have to guard your opinion and keep it to yourself, and not and that any any voicing of it will could could incur risks of various kinds uh, to um to to you and uh, and your career so yeah it's um you you know you're a unwelcome minority when that's uh, when that's yeah, the case yeah Winston Marshall put it well on, on my other podcast the current thing when I interviewed him and uh, he said if you if you then say anything there'll be a group that's saying all these political statements that are left-wing if you then say anything they'll go why are you bringing up politics <laughs> they just think they're not even political oh. they're just normal yeah depressing isn't it well thanks Will um any anything else you want to plug? Any other podcasts you do? <laughs> I'm just plugging my other podcast there. And um, obviously, go to dailyskeptic.org for all those stories. And um, it was yeah, it was a good one. We'll see you again uh, next week, probably. Well, great. Thanks, Nick. All right, that was Will. Now let's do everyone's favorite section. It's peak woke. So Toby, peak woke this week. I've got a couple of good ones, but I think you had more than me. So do you want to go first? Okay, I was going to, there was a, an angry piece um, written by, um, I think, a white woman um, complaining that the free the nipple movement is too white. So the free the nipple movement, for the benefit of our listeners who don't know what it is, um, is um, uh, young feminist women objecting to the fact that you can't show nipples on YouTube or Instagram and some other social media platforms, Facebook. Um, uh, 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 and the way they object, the way they protest about this is to protest topless. Um, but the complaint being made by this um, uh, woke, woke, wokey is that the women who take off their tops to protest about the fact that they can't take off their tops on social media um, are too white, not enough black women. Um, joining them by stripping off um, at these public protests. Um, so, yeah, that, that did seem like a slightly silly objection to the free the nipple movement. Not enough black nipples on display. We need more black um, nipples. And that's the, that's the yeah. title of this podcast sorted as well. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can see, you can see, you know, an odd, odd, um, point of um, overlap there with the kind of incel movement. You can see, you know, some, some Reddit sub, groups and 4chan getting behind that that kind of woke objection to the free the nipple movement um yeah so that was my first one what's your first one well i thought maybe the lawyers who wouldn't prosecute the uh, climate nutters was was quite a good one 
but I don't really have enough information. I'm kind of got bored of it. Did you see that when when Jolly and Moore and all those other people said, "Oh, we're not going to prose." Well, but he didn't. He's not able to prosecute people anyway, as I understand it. But they said we wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. I thought it was quite an irresponsible tweet of his because he said, you know, solidarity with these barristers who are who have refused to um, take on cases on behalf of big oil and refuse to prosecute um, climate protesters. Um, now, by doing that, they are breaking the rules they've signed up to as barristers. As you know, there is a cab rank system in which you are expected to take on you know, any customer. It's not about whether you agree or disagree with them. It's just about giving them the best possible defense you can within the law. Um, and I think they're required to do that. They're required not to discriminate according to whether they politically approve of the, the defendant or not. It's a breach of the rules to discriminate in that way. And Jolian isn't, sorry, Joe, as I believe he now calls himself, he's not going to be punished because he's not going to be breaking the rules because he's a tax lawyer. So he's not going to, like, there won't be any cases that he'd be expected to take by his clerk at his chambers um, uh, 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 because he's a tax lawyer. You know, he helps, you know, rich people avoid paying tax. That, that's what he, that's his specialty. Um, uh, but um, But he's essentially encouraging these other barristers who might well, be breaking the rules by refusing to take these cases. He's encouraged them to take this public stance, which is going to get them into trouble. So pretty irresponsible. Yeah. So that was one of my that was sort of my runner up, and I was going to also suggest the misgendering of the Nashville shooter, but we already covered that. So my real one that I'm going with this week, my main contender, is this CNN post. If you're white and you've posted a GIF or meme of a black person to express a strong emotion, you may be guilty of wearing digital blackface. Writes John Blake, and this was the one of the most ratio tweets, we talked about ratio tweets earlier. This is one of the most ratio tweets of all time. The idea that you can no longer post a GIF of a black person or your race. I mean, that that we've, we call the section peak woke. Isn't that about as peak woke as it gets, Toby? That does feel pretty peak. It's hard to imagine that one being topped. So, yeah, digital blackface. It's like soon if you if you just listen to a record or, you know, by a black artist or watch a film, with a black leading actor, you'll be guilty of something if you're white. Cultural appropriation, um, you know, uh, uh, what what would be the cellular? Uh, no, no. What would be what would be the phrase? Kind of vinyl blackface, or um, I, I, we're gonna? Yeah, I'm sure there'll be footage on Earth of Alfie Brown using black gifts, and it'll be cancelled again. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like it's sort of like the end of the West, isn't it? That kind of thing. Like, what can we find now? You you've got to imagine the CNN writer just doing that, hated himself a little bit. It was just like. Oh, I've got a deadline. I mean, I've got okay, black gifts. You might be racist. Didn't they just like? Didn't they just like throw darts at what? Didn't they have some sort of a what's that game where you kind of put one thing down, then there's like another. You got to match them together. Did you know, like they sort of just like they have like snap. Well, I, <laughs> snap. I'm just thinking they have some sort of system. Where I haven't thought it's through at all, but they just sort of you know you, you like pick a a topic or or you know like an area of black people. Okay, boom. Let's pick something else. The internet. Okay, stick it together. Or like memes. And then they have a, like a racist or you know they just they just put it together like that and just build their stories this way. Right, it's like woke top trumps. Is that what yeah, not only top trumps, but it's something, it's something like I can't remember what the game is. But anyway, you just sort of pick something. I can sort of go, okay, transphobia, pigeons uh, in you know Estonia. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny. It, it, I actually a, a friend of mine came up with the, an idea for woke bingo in which um, 
everyone gets a bingo card with a kind of woke expression on it, like digital blackface. Um, and, um, uh, you know, dead naming, you know, all the kind of lingo that we've been bombarded with and kind of have fun with on this show. <laughs> um, you see, you have all these phrases on your woke bingo card and then you play a speech. You know, you play, you just, you just kind of like broadcast the Labour Party conference live and you have a room full of people, you know, in a bingo hall somewhere <laughs> in Bethnal Green and ticking off, ticking off the, the phrases on their bingo. Every bingo card would have to be slightly different. Otherwise, everyone would win at the same time, obviously. But you, if you, it, it would take a bit of administration. I did actually discuss with Dominic Frisbee whether we could do it as an uh, uh, free speech union fundraiser at Comedy Unleashed in Bethnal Green. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine it, Chris. Chris, you could like, you could be like, you know, you could put it, you get somehow, you could, you could, you could produce kind of portable versions of it, sell it, you know, as merch on the, um, I don't know, the FSU website, and people could play it at home. They could listen, you know, around Christmas time. They could listen to Prince Charles's, King Charles's, you know, a uh, 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 Christmas speech, and no doubt he'll use lots of woke language as well, um, uh, and and they yeah, could play it under any number of um, circumstances listening to speeches on the telly just watching netflix um you know, know what? Uh, watching the bbc it's so good toby i don't think you should have even revealed it because before you've patented it it's so good <laughs> the only thing is what would they be listening to how would that be incorporated in the game that's my only question but the woke bingo idea is great you, the, the mash report yeah well that's, oh, that's cancelled yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you just, you yeah, but, but they, comedy on radio four yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely a good idea, but they they just pick stuff, don't they? So anyway, that's my point. I mean, they went this week: gifts, racist, done, <laughs> send, and so yeah. I mean, that's peak woke. That's my peak woke. What have you got? Well, my my last one this week is uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Guardian um, uh, has uh, the, the, the 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 trust that owns the Guardian has issued an apology on behalf of its founders for its founders' involvement in the transatlantic um, slave trade. So the, the Scott Trust has um, essentially cancelled itself. Um, I mean, it is ironic, isn't it, that The Guardian, which has been at the absolute forefront of kind of um, attacking uh, various institutions and individuals for their you know, links to... Um, the historic slave trade um, now has now has now effectively had to admit that the that the Manchester Guardian was kind of up to its neck in in the slave trade. Um, you know what, what's it? The Guardian really should cancel itself. It should set fire to its own building. It should um, it should it should topple the statue of C. P. Scott and throw it into the Thames. You know, uh, I mean, it's just it just it's the height of absurdity, but quite funny. Yeah. So, so the Guardian condemns itself. It's not a bad. Peak woke. If we had to pick, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Let the list decide who wins peak woke and who wins weak poke. Okay. And is that is that all your peak woke stuff? You had quite a few times. That's all. That's okay. all. That's, that's so it. So maybe yeah. we'll quickly re- read a review. And then I've got a couple of other things I want to mention. So this comes from Helena Tam, I believe. It's one word, so it's hard to tell. So glad I'm not going mad. I mean, you may still be, but let's just read the review. Thank you for this wonderful, fast paced, hugely funny, certainly not too long show. The three of you clearly have a great friendship, well, colleagues, and work extremely well together. I do hope JP, the new fourth team member, has listened and appreciates his contributions, which are spot on and just hilarious. And if you happen to read this, Mr. P, I also listen to your podcast and enjoy them immensely. So she's asking the question, does Jordan Peterson listen to his own (laughs) bit on the show and appreciate himself? It's a bit strange, but um, yeah, of course he does. He's doing it. Presumably, she means does he listen back later and think, "How can I improve my contributions?" That's all she could mean. Um, yeah. 
unfortunately, we, we, he, he's he's um, he can't be with us today um, because he's um, he's got a slightly sore throat. But um, yeah. hopefully, he will be with us next week. And he, you, you never, he may even make an appearance at our live show yeah. at the American. He Center. may do. And someone rubbed a courgette on him, is what happened. And he was had to go to Russian hospital for twelve days. So, um, yeah, and I might to actually tell, but it's not really part of the podcast. But did you watch Succession because it's back? for a fourth and the reason it's sort of part of the podcast is I've got a sort of culture war take on it it's back for a fourth season first episode was out I found it a little bit mediocre but it will probably get going much like the third season there was a great line I won't spoil it about halfway through that to me is where it picked up it was a line from Tom almost inevitably about Greg and it really picked up there then there were a few more great lines in rapid succession no pun intended so that's when I thought it it really got going but I think it'll, it'll get going as the series goes on my overall take on it, and I've been annoying people with this on Twitter, is that the, the conventional normie wisdom is that they're bad people, they're terrible. Even even James said it on your podcast, London Calling, and I'm going to advance what was said on there rather than repeat it. Don't worry, listeners. But this idea they're terrible people. My take is they're great people, okay? Great people. Kendall has empathy, nice guy. Roman is so nice to Kendall when he was suffering in the, in the third season. He, he, he downplayed what he'd done with that kid in the first season, and he sort of it was there for him, even though he doesn't like feelings and stuff. Funny guy. They're all conservatives, except maybe Shiv. These are great people. They're better people, I'm even going to claim, Toby, than the actors playing them. Brian Cox is an SMP fan. Uh, uh, the, Jeremy Strong, who plays Kendall, went on Stephen um, Colbert and said, oh, you tell the truth. Of course, Colbert doesn't tell the truth. He's an awful establishment stooge at this point. You know, these are woke actors saying the usual woke nonsense, but the series is smarter than that. The series makes them somewhat likable. The series treats the CNN Hillary types equally bad. They seem pompous and awful in season three. You know, the Pierce or whatever they're called. Nan, that character. So my big theory is anyway, Toby, that the conventional wisdom is they're these awful people. I say they're actually great. They're conservatives, except Shiv is maybe a bit evil. And I think Logan probably is a bit evil. But, you know, some of them, Tom's a great guy. Connor's a nice guy. Roman's a great guy. Kendall, I like Greg. I like them all. That's my take, Toby. What do you think to that? That's a that's a slightly odd take. Yeah, I, I I don't think you're supposed to like them or admire them or think of them. You as could like them at face models. value if you're uh, a conservative and you're like a cool guy. I, I think it, Roman Roman's quite kind of flip and cynical and um, cynical about everything. So um, does that make him a conservative? If your definition of a conservative is someone who believes in nothing, and that was in fact the definition of Morris Cowlick, a famous conservative intellectual. Um, uh, he, he, I think you know. He, I think he distinguished between two kinds of conservatives. Are you a conservative who believes in conservatism, or are you a conservative because you believe in nothing? So that was your choice. And Roman could fall into the latter category. Kendall, though, Kendall does seem to kind of pay lip service to wokery pokery. Like you know, he shouted "f the patriarchy" outside his kind of disastrous party, um, uh, and uh, and and I think he thinks, and he sort of you know he. He thinks he he can pass as a rapper, and he, yeah, he for, for for all the kind of wrong reasons, I think he identifies with the woke left. He thinks it kind of makes him interesting and cool, and kind of gives him kind of status points with cool people that he wants to be in business with. Yeah, I think um, so. I wouldn't say he's a conservative. Shiv certainly is a conservative. Tom and Greg, um, I don't think they're, but I see them as kind of. Uh, uh, insofar as they're political at all, um, and not just kind of self-seeking idiots, um, uh, I think they're probably kind of 
wet liberals, aren't they? Um, uh, I, I think the funniest scene, it, the funniest scenes, I agree with you, in, in episode one, season four, were the scenes between Tom and Greg at Logan's party. They, 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 maybe they're going to come into their own in this series, and particularly now that Tom has been released um, from his marriage to Shiv, which did seem to be pretty emasculating. Yeah, there was a line in that about a sex tape. I'm not going to give away the line, but it was very good, and that's where it picked up. And yeah, well, they're running a conservative network, Toby. That's the idea, isn't it? It's a kind of Fox type thing. And then Roman in, in series three says, yeah, he's all for it, bone broth and dick pills, which is like an Alex Jones reference. And you'll say, yeah, they're parodying that, and even Roman's par- parodying it himself. But I say, hey, he's hanging out with that more sort of conservative guy. They're trying to make him president. I say you can enjoy it on that level. That's why they're conservative. I mean, they all are because they were in a conservative network. I know what you mean. Kendall does come across a bit woke sometimes. And Shiv obviously hangs out with that Bernie Sanders guy, who is portrayed as pretty awful, to be fair to the series. The series is That's smarter true. than the actors. Yeah. You know, it's, Jesse Armstrong is a genius. And the series is smarter because everyone comes across badly. The Bernie guy, the Bernie bro who works for him is possibly one of the worst people in the whole thing. You know what I mean? The assistant mm, to the true. Bernie guy. Yeah. So it yeah. does attack everyone, but I think you can enjoy it at face value as a conservative and, <laughs> and say these are just actually good okay. people. That's my big play. But yeah, anyway, yeah, I think you're, you're, what Jess, you're what Jesse Armstrong would call a bad fan. <laughs> you've like uh, you've totally misunderstood it. And you're celebrating it for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I think everyone loves it. I think people like them more than they admit, and they just pretend, oh, they're despicable. Well, why, you, you love them, really. That's what I think. I, um, I sound like Logan now. Ah, oh, they love it. I give them a bit of what they want. Um, all right. Well, that was succession. And um, quick update, Toby, on my therapy from people who were listening last week. I found out this week my therapist, I'm not sure what the confidentiality is. I assume it only goes one way. I assume I'm allowed to say stuff. But the, <laughs> my therapist knew who I was already. He said, oh, yeah, I, I worked out your voice and I figured out who you were. And I was like, so I'm so famous now. My own therapist knows me, right? And then a natural thing for a narcissist then like me would be to say, oh, what have you listened to? But I, I didn't really want to get into it. I was too freaked out. So I just said, yeah, I try and I don't really make a big thing of it because I live in North London. So when he said, I know your voice, it can only be that he's listening to GB on the radio or the podcast, which I find unlikely because they'd really know me. But he, he, it sounds like he must be listening to GB news or maybe he's got, he thinks I'm a comedian. He's heard me somewhere. Else. I don't know. I didn't ask. What do you think he means? You don't think he meant it in a kind of, um, he was sort of, you know, it, 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 it was therapy speak for kind of trying to bond with you. And he was saying, I know you. <laughs> I know what you're going through. I feel your pain. I feel like I really, I know you. I know where you're coming from. I know the kind of person. Isn't that, isn't that, that's not what he meant. He no. meant, he, he said, he, you weren't misunderstanding that and thinking he's recognized no, no, he said it from in, my voice. He said in the first one, I was trying to figure out who you were. And, I, I, and then it dawned on me after. And now and I, I know who you are. So just let me reassure you, everything here is confidential. So I was like, I said, yeah, you know, I don't really make a big thing. I said, I don't really talk about my work in Crouch End. He goes, oh, you'd be stoned to death. So he totally knows who I am. <laughs> so, uh, okay. But I okay. just don't know what level he knows and how engaged is. Because if he really knew, he'd terminate the session immediately, wouldn't he? And disavow me. But um, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you what's going on here. He's probably like um, an out of work stand up, you know, trying to earn a crust because he can't pay the mortgage <laughs> by doing stand up comedy because. There's just not much work to go around, and he probably isn't that woke. So that's why he knows you. You've actually, you, you've, he's probably a former colleague. He may have even been on, um, you know, headlines. Oh, that would be good if he if, if he does like open mics and if he says like, "Can you just can you get me a gig at the end of the the session?" Oh, and I find out I'm just speaking <laughs> to an open micer. Who, oh yeah, as if he has any authority. He seems pretty good anyway. He seems smart and good. So um, okay, good. But yeah, I just thought I'd give the listeners an update on my ongoing mental health situation. I suppose it's quite it's quite you. Know, 
Or maybe he just, you know, maybe he realizes that when he's talking to people who have any kind of public profile, you know, the, the first thing he can do to kind of make them feel better is to pretend to recognize them. It's like, oh, you're famous. How dare you. I know you. I recognize you from your voice. Nah, because I've not mentioned it at all. <laughs> How would he know? I've not mentioned okay. being a public profile at all in, the, in either session. Your name doesn't come up, Nick Dixon. He couldn't Google you quickly he before. He could quickly Google you know, me. The first session is but over. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah, he could quickly Google me. He could quickly, but... You think he's so basically you're saying my therapist is lying to me to manipulate me. I mean, that's an incredibly <laughs> cynical thing. No, he's just he's doing a good job. He's, it he's kills you to think that he might have recognized by pretending you're famous. It kills you. Uh, no, I, I, <laughs> no, no, I can accept it. I accept it. I'm sure that's what. Um, <laughs> all right, because you've got to go. Let's just briefly say, uh, come to our live show once more on May 20th at the Emmanuel Center. Anything else to plug? Uh, well, keep reading The Daily Skeptic. Um, you can actually, if you want to contribute to this podcast, you can make a contribution now on the Eventbrite page, which you can link to by clicking on the banner at the top of the Daily Skeptic website. But you can also make a contribution there to The Daily Skeptic to pay for all the great work that we do. Got to keep the bailiffs from the door. We tried advertising. That didn't work because we were essentially demonetized by this horrible, evil organization called NewsGuard. Um, so yeah, give money to the Weekly Skeptic, give money to the Daily Skeptic, support us, help us to continue to bring you this top entertainment and alternative news. Yes, and if you just can't get enough Nick Dixon, as so many people say, you can always listen to my podcast, The Current Thing. I've just had Winston Marshall from Mumford & Sons talking about his cancellation, Christianity, way more. Very interesting episode. But yes, just to keep it on our thing, Weekly Skeptic, donate. And Patreon coming soon, not Patreon, Locals coming soon, because Locals, Locals is more cool with like cancelled people and skeptic. And a live show coming soon. And that's, I think, it. So until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. <laughs> <laughs>